0: Good morning, First Church. Happy Easter. Um, He is risen. We're glad you could be here today with us. Um, We're going to go ahead and get into some worship and um, praise Jesus. But before we do that, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for coming here to earth um, and living life as a poor man, as a servant, and humbling yourself and dying on a cross, and taking our sins. God, I pray that you would show us that there's nothing that we can do in our power that will save us, nothing that we can do that will redeem us. God, you have done everything for us. Help us to see your glory today. Help us to praise you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Season failing of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. Cool. Was redeemed only you. Made me new now life begins with you released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom.
1: and process what Friday really meant and so I was thinking about that and I was doing some research and I came across some really interesting things I'm going to try to develop it further and put it into our not not just a not a not a message just a thought but it's so appropriate for today in in some of the Jewish histories in the uh, in the in the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud and then Josephus and there's a couple others, um, they record and some incredible events that happened around A.D. 30. Uh, they they uh, talk about four different major things that happened in the temple, and then they talked about one of them talks about an earthquake that preceded these major things. And these are these are from totally uh, a different viewpoint. In other words, they're not followers of Christ. They're not. Um, in any way, interested in that, and they, to be honest, you know just so you understand, they looked at that as a foreshadowing of when the temple was destroyed. In fact, they date it backwards. They say all these things happened forty about forty years before the temple was destroyed but it 's a pretty amazing thing that some of the things that we see in in, in the New Testament are collaborated uh, by um, these, these writings from people who are not believers and are not interested in that. So it's very interesting for me to see that. It's going to develop it more and get it to you for you to, uh, to think about. Um, we're also going to do something else, thinking about Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then processing it backwards. We have a video we want you to watch. If... I know this is the break time, but if you have your coffee and you're sitting on your couches, th- this is a very interesting video. I, I found it uh, very, very compelling. And so we encourage you to watch that and, uh, during, during the break time, all right? And we'll do that right now. Thank you.
2: Good Friday. How can one describe such a day? The wrongdoing of all humanity, putting to an end an innocent man, the son of God. This is the story of Jesus' death by way of a cross, all in one moment, bringing death to the bright light of our future. He never stopped loving us, and yet this is the incredible part of it, Our sin stopped his heart. Our sin drove the nails firmly in the hands of God. All along, these were the plans. We told ourselves that we were in control and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. The brutal beating, the inhuman flogging, the naked humiliation. Heaven watched and saw it all. Our rebellion, our guilt, Our shame, erasing the very notion of reconciling us with God, our sin, and our debt, overcoming Jesus. Here is our king, obliterated, the enemy laughing, his plans unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of freedom rising. Now God's people are utterly broken. Behold the chains of mortality. Yes, this is what is true. We had heard the stories of old. The lost are found, the blind can see, the weak are made strong. But now we are witnesses to this reality. God is dead. We'd almost believed there is a way of redemption, there is a life of fulfillment, there is a peace beyond understanding. Now we know better. For us, we can say that God is encapsulated in this one realization. The single greatest sacrifice in human history is finished. How clearly we can see it. So what's so good about Good Friday? just one thing that the blood of jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life how clearly we can see it is finished the single greatest sacrifice in human history encapsulated in this one realization we can say that god is for us. Now we know better. There is a peace beyond understanding. There is a life of fulfillment. There is a way of redemption. We had almost believed God is dead, but now we are witnesses to this reality. The weak are made strong. The blind can see. The lost are found. We had heard the stories of old. Yes, this is what is true. The chains of mortality utterly broken. Behold, freedom rising. Now God's people are unstoppable. There's no longer the sound of the enemy laughing. His plans obliterated. Here is our King, Jesus, overcoming our sin and our debt, reconciling us with God, erasing the very notion of our rebellion, our guilt, our shame watched and saw it all, the naked humiliation, the inhuman flogging, the brutal beating, and this was deemed sufficient for all of us. We told ourselves that we were in control. All along, these were the plans firmly in the hands of God. Our sin drove the nails, our sin stuck his heart, and yet this is the incredible part of it. He never stopped loving us the bright light of our future all in one moment bringing death to death by way of a cross this is the story of Jesus the son of God an innocent man putting to an end the wrongdoing of all humanity how can one describe such a day good friday
1: Good morning, everybody! Happy Easter! He is risen. Um, we are. I'm just excited to be here this morning to be able to talk to you and to be able to discuss the implications of of what Scripture tells us. Um, I hope you're relaxed and comfortable. I have my coffee. I thought everybody else is probably drinking their coffee, so I have my coffee right here. And it's uh, oh, look at that! It says hello, gorgeous. <laughs> How appropriate. Um, You can decide, is it a message from God or just coincidence? That's your decision. All right. So I want to read with you this scripture. I don't even know why I said all that, but it just wanted you to feel like we're at a normal service, and I said something stupid. Here we go. We're going to read scripture together, and let's begin here with, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. See the place where you laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into, the, into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the, uh, oh, last, sorry, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They were afraid. They, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. You know, one of the unique aspects of Christianity compared to any other faith or movement, is that it actually traces its origin to one particular event, one moment in one day in history. Just as a matter of historical, it, it traces it all to this one moment. No other religion is like that. This is what makes Christianity so unique. Because one day there was no such thing as the church, and then one day there was the church. And that is uh, just overnight. It's, it's astounding. It's amazing. There were a group of people who believed and did and suffered the most extraordinary things for the sake of this man, Jesus. This is a matter of historical record. And it's quite odd when you think about it. If you look at the four Gospels, four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in every case, almost most of those Gospels are devoted to the last week of Jesus' life, which is just totally unusual, but all four, four out of four do this. Why would they be written like that? Well, because for the followers of Jesus, they insisted with remarkable unity that that one event created this movement, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. One thing undergirds it all, and this is the part we see in Mark, and this is this, it took them some time to understand, and, and we see this in all of them, but we see this in this passage, it took them time to understand the full significance of what happened. You know, in, in our day, a lot of people um, think that the resurrection would be good news, but they might wonder if it's true news. You know, there's good news, and then there's true news. And they might wonder if, that, if it's true news. Because the thinking goes kind of like this. In ancient days, people were gullible, right? They didn't have science. So when Jesus died, people felt some vague sense of his presence, and it inspired them. And over the decades, this kind of morphed into stories of him being raised from the dead. But this version is only plausible if we don't actually understand how people in that day thought, if we don't understand the historical and cultural context. If we look at it from our 21st century view, we see it one way. But from their view, it's totally different. So we have to dig deep and understand what was their view. Well, when it first happened, when we see this passage, when the tomb was empty, those women knew this is true news. But they weren't sure if it was good news, they weren't sure if this was really that good. And so let's talk about that, and let's explore that a little bit, because everybody knows why we are gathering together for Easter, but oftentimes people don't understand there's a huge backstory to this that is critical to understanding Easter, and it's a powerful reason for believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's take a few minutes, and let's talk about that. Um, to compare, I was trying to think of a way to capture their experience or analogy I could use. And the best I could use is, um, a long time ago I watched a movie called The Sixth Sense. And some of you may have seen that movie. You know what it's about. And the tagline is there's this little kid who uh, tells Bruce Willis, I see dead people. I see dead people. You know, he kind of whispers it. They don't know they're dead. And he sees them. It's a scary movie. Now, I know for most of you who have seen it, you're, right now you're going, Bob, that was not a scary movie. Okay? To me, that was a very scary movie. I mean, you ever sit next to somebody in a movie that, that, uh, that's, that's very, scared and so, very scary and so they, they cover their eyes and they keep asking, because their eyes are covered, what's going on? And when they really start getting scared, they grab your hand and they start squeezing it harder and harder. It's almost like the more pain they inflict on you, the better they feel about how scared they are. And the tension finally got so bad, my wife said to me, Bob, if you don't stop squeezing my hand, I'm going to change seats. Because there's no fear like death. And the twist in the, in the movie comes at the end, right, for those of you that have seen it. it if you've never seen that movie, I'm sorry, because I'm going to spoil it for you. But at the end, Bruce Willis realizes he's one of the dead people. He didn't know it. He never saw it coming. He's one of the dead guys that this child is seeing now keep that in mind, because we're going to get to that, and that's an important thought. So the human race has always wondered, what happens to you after you die? In the ancient world, some people believe that when you died, you just went out like a candle being blown out. In fact, there was a tombstone that was very popular. It's still on some ancient tombstones that they have found, written in Greek, sometimes written in Latin. And it says this. It says, I was... Uh, No, it says, I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. Four little lines. I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. Uh, The belief is that maybe this came from Epicurus. Not really 100% sure on that. But I thought, what a cheery sentiment to put on a tombstone, right? It's just like, that's it, it's all over. And a lot of people believe that. A lot of people believed that back then. That's what they thought. Happened to you when you died? Now, some believed in uh, Hades. It's a shadowy place where spirits existed after death. There's no real concept of life going on there, and there is definitely no concept of coming back to life. The road to Hades was a one-way, one-way. Hades was a one-way trip. All right, it's a one-way street. That's it. But that was the general idea. But in Israel. This thought had developed over a long period of time, a belief emerged, and it was called resurrection. And resurrection was the idea that you're not going some that it's not gonna be some vague, shadowy afterlife, you know, some way or another. In Israel, see, they they said the problem isn't just that we die. The problem is this, this world is a mess. We're a mess, right? There's pain, there's suffering, and we can't fix this mess. So what good would an ongoing existence be if the mess isn't fixed? if things aren't changed from the very core. And so resurrection in Jewish thought was this belief that there's this great God who created all things and that one day he's going to fix it. And when that happens, he'll bring the righteous back to life, full, vibrant, bodily life, real life. And at that time, he would redeem and heal all creation. So they perceived the resurrection as not just some sort of afterlife, like many, many of the Greeks did, But a God perfected, God redeemed, God set right life. They believed God would step in, right? He would establish justice. He would end suffering. He would forgive sins. He would heal creation. He would resurrect resurrect his people. And when that resurrection happened, it would be dramatic. It would be obvious. It would be undeniable. And this is the key. It would be done on a mass scale. It would be done for everyone, all God's children. So it would be at the end of history, that was what they believed. Pretty much in the ancient world, thought life was just some sort of an endless cycle. Israel, however, just, just, just a cycle, just going around. Israel, however, had this idea that God had created the human race and we were headed somewhere. We were doing something. and We were going purposefully in a, in a way. And so you see this idea, and this is where we address how they thought. We have to think about this. This idea that a person could be resurrected singly, just that person, was a totally foreign concept. It wouldn't be something they would even imagine. It would be out of the realm of their thinking. Because nobody in Israel could conceive of the idea or c- would claim that one individual was raised in the middle of history and then history kept going. Because wh- if, someone said they were, if someone said that they were raised their whole thing would be, wait a minute, has disease been eradicated? Has justice broken out? Has suffering ended? Because if if those things haven't happened, and a number of others, then then you're you're full of bull. That's not true. You weren't weren't raised from the dead. It'd be kind of like this. You know, last week I talked about the Washington Nationals. I'm from Washington, D.C. I I love all things Washington. And so, you know, you get the good with the bad. You like the Nationals because they won the World Series. You have to like the Redskins. And I've been with that team through thick and thin, and it's been pretty thin right now. But if I was to say to you that Darius Geis, the Washington Redskin running back, was going to win the Super Bowl next year, you would look at me and you'd say, oh, you think Washington's going to win the Super Bowl? And if I said, no, Darius Geis is going to win the Super Bowl You'd be puzzled. You didn't understand. You'd think, Bob, is this like some joke you're making that you've disguised so well that no one knows it's a joke? Because no one person can win the Super Bowl. This isn't tennis. You can't win Wimbledon. You can win Wimbledon in tennis. This this isn't that. This is a team sport. The whole team has to win the Super Bowl. Okay? Resurrection was understood in those days to be a team deal. Not a single deal. That was impossible. That was ridiculous. It went went against everything they'd ever believed. Think about that. Now into this world comes Jesus. Now he's a rabbi like many other rabbis, but he teaches with an authority they didn't understand. He attracts followers just as all great leaders attract followers. He speaks of God like other spiritual teachers speak about God, but nobody ever claimed to be so intimate with God like Jesus did. So those who followed him knew there's been nobody like him before. And they believed he was the Messiah and that he would overthrow Rome and he would usher in God's kingdom. But there's a twist coming, right? Just like in Sixth Sense, there's a twist at the end. Jesus died. And when this happened, even though he talked about it, they couldn't conceive of it. None of his followers said, when Jesus died, none of his followers said, yep, right on schedule. Everything's going according to the plan now. None of his followers thought that his death was a good thing. In fact, we're taught that when it became clear that he was going to die, this happened. Then all the disciples deserted, deserted him and fled. When he died, all four of the Gospels give us very unflattering portraits. His disciples are disheartened, they're dismayed, they're disappointed, they're disillusioned, they're depressed. And then historically, suddenly, they weren't. After his death, they knew they were finished. And then suddenly, as a matter of the historical record, for some reason, this same group of people, the same ones who fled, the same ones who were discouraged, the same ones who were depressed, they became convinced that Jesus had been been resurrected. And that conviction would change the world. And it still is changing the world and they were motivated to spread the news of that resurrection at tremendous cost to themselves all the disciples except john died for their faith john was exiled and died in exile alone they all believed it now some people think we're uh, skeptical skeptical about the resurrection because we're modern people and we're smart we have science But in ancient times, people weren't gullible. They didn't believe just anything. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He calls it chronological snobbery. He, He says, we look down on those people. But you know, ancient people weren't stupid. They knew where babies came from. They knew how it worked. They knew that when people died, they didn't rise from the dead. They understood dead people stay dead. A scholar by the name of N.T. Wright writes this. He says, there were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome, as Jesus did. Not one single case, in not one single case, do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They knew better. They knew better. Resurrection wasn't a private event. It was a team sport. And if you were following the Messiah, and there were a number of people who claimed Messiahs in those days, if you were following somebody and your guy got crucified by Rome, just like Jesus did, you had two choices. you disband the movement, give up and go home, or you start looking for a new Messiah. Because to be killed by Rome is to prove that you weren't the Messiah. That's how they thought. And the Gospels are clear about this. And so, just like we would expect, the disciples are convinced that it's over. They're finished. It's done. And then two things happen. Both of them are mentioned in, in this Mark 16 passage. First, I want you to see, it says, they went and the tomb was empty. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene and he who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So the tomb is empty. That's the first thing. The second thing is, It says, but go and tell his disciples. And Peter, he's going ahead into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. People will see him. He will appear to people. And it's the combination of those two factors that's overwhelming. Because one without the other wouldn't have done it. I mean, it's just obvious. If it was an empty tomb, but Jesus didn't appear to anyone, the skeptics would say, okay, grave robbery. You just hid his body. But Jesus did appear. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, 1 Corinthians is the first book written, many scholars believe, and it was written less in less than 20 years after the death of Jesus. And then he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. So what is he saying? He's saying he's been seen, and he's writing in less than 20 years. You can't say that unless you're sure those people will back you up. And on the other hand, if people had reported that they had seen Jesus somehow, but the Jesus' body was still in the tomb, easy peasy, the Romans just say, well, there's his body. You guys are just hoping. If the Romans could have produced the body, they would have. You know, the graves of heroes are often venerated as shrines by their followers, except for this one, because the tomb was empty. This is simply not a story that could have been made up that way, because and this is key, and it's hard for us to grasp this, but this idea of Jesus raising from the dead violates their understanding of what was going to happen in history, and it violates their belief in what God was doing. They, it just was something that came out of the blue. No one imagined it. Another interesting fact, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And this is the the thing, we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into great detail about it, but the first witnesses were women. You know, And we don't think much of that. But in ancient times, women were not considered reliable witnesses. They were not allowed to testify over these things. And so the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb are women. This isn't just recorded in Mark. It's in all four Gospels. Now, if these are made-up stories, there is no advantage whatsoever of convincing people of the truth of your story if you include that the first witnesses were women. In fact, it would have seriously undermined your claim by saying that, that these women. The only plausible explanation for these women being in the Gospels in this point is because it happened, and so they're telling the truth. And as the good news spread... This detail would have hampered the news of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would have been hampered by this this statement that the women were the first witnesses uh, in all four gospels. So what's a good reason for putting that in there? Only that it's true. No other reason makes sense because it went totally against what they believed would happen. You know, embarrassment is a standard that oftentimes historians use to gauge the historicity of a of an ancient uh, document or a recorded event. If the author chooses to include an embarrassing fact that would hurt his case or her case, uh, then it's un- then it adds to certainty of the story. It's unlikely they're making it up because they're undermining their own story. And the fact that the gospel writers included a whole raft of embarrassing details. Things like the disciples deserting him. Things like the women being the first witness. Multiple things that undermine the story. So it shows that it's unlikely that it was fabricated. That's how historians would judge it. And somehow in Jesus, this resurrection has begun. This this started, this age to come has started And so this reason for this transformed community that we see happening in the book of Acts is not a sense of inspiration. They believed they were a resurrection community. They basically said, not having seen six since, but they said, we are the dead people. We didn't know it. We're dead in our sins. We're cut off from God. And Jesus somehow was raised from the dead. So that means God has promised he would fix the world. He would forgive sin. He would heal suffering. He would redeem humanity. And it has begun. God is being faithful to his promise. After the resurrection, after the resurrection, they realized that when Jesus died on the cross, it was more than just his death. They didn't understand what was happening at the time. It took the resurrection for them to look back and say, it wasn't just his death, it was our death. Somehow we died with him as his followers. Somehow our sin had to be forgiven. Your sin, my sin. And they were forgiven through what Jesus did. He was the ultimate sacrifice for our pardon. He paid the ultimate price. My guilt and my shame died on the cross. They did not understand that until after Easter. Sin and shame and guilt are now defeated. And then on the third day came the greatest step in human history. This morning that we talk about Easter Sunday, think about this, all over the world, millions and millions of believers are celebrating this single event in history simultaneously. That's an amazing thought to the glory of God. Stones roll away. Jesus stood on the threshold of that tomb. I wonder, I think of crazy things, and I I always wonder, when Jesus was about to step out of that tomb, what was he thinking? Just, what was he thinking? This is it. You know, the greatest moment in history. He steps across the threshold, and God's new day has begun. It's just him and his father, and he steps across, and it changes the world. I read a book. Um, there's a guy that I, I, I enjoy when he writes and uh, some of the things he's done. His name is Dr. Francis Collins. Um, he's, he was the head of the Human Genome Project when they un, unraveled the DNA strands of humans. He was, um, he was put on the cover of Time magazine. Time even speculated that he may be our, our uh, generation's Albert Einstein it, it, because of his brilliance. He now heads the uh, National Institutes of Health, and um, he talks about as when he was a young doctor working with cancer patients, one of his patients challenged him to look into the claims of Christ. And, and what he realized was he didn't believe in Jesus because he'd just always been told that it wasn't true. And so he decided to look into it. And he read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And, uh, and he did some more studying, and he came to a point where he said he believed that there was a God, and he believed in Jesus. He, he admitted he didn't understand all of it, or a lot of it, but he realized, he realized this. He realized, I don't need any more information. I need to make a commitment. He realized there's a threshold, just like Jesus stepping out of that tomb. There's a threshold here, and I need to walk out over this threshold. I need to walk through this door and commit my life to Jesus Christ, my whole life to Jesus Christ not just my intellectual self, my whole life to Jesus Christ. And he said that day he asked Jesus Christ into his life. He asked for forgiveness and decided to follow Jesus for the rest of his life, and he's been a faithful Christ follower since. And I think about, for all of us, I think about people who are watching. I don't know everyone who's watching, but have you taken that step? Have you crossed that threshold? Have you made that commitment Not, not some kind of a commitment that's just like, yeah, yeah, I believe this stuff. But now, the commitment that means now I walk in it, I follow it. It's my life. It's more important than anything else. This, this would be a great time to do it. Just between you and God. You're not here in a big auditorium. You're not here with a whole bunch of people. You're, you're at home. You may be alone. You maybe could just pray a prayer. You could just cross that line. And, and then what you're, the key that I see so much comes comes out of this is that you're not just stepping into good news, you're stepping into true news. There's a lot of people who believe in God, but the key is he's looking for people who believe what he says, who believe God, not just believe in him, believe him, and take it seriously what he says on how they're supposed to live their lives. This is reality. This is the threshold that that he wants you to cross. Paul wrote, our, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to, to light through the gospel. He has destroyed death. We have a resurrection coming. You have a resurrection coming. You have this hope. In John 11, John said, whoever, Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is right before he raised Lazarus. He said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So what does that look like for us? Never die. How do you explain that? Well, I've I mentioned this before. I have an explanation. It's just a silly one. But one time when our kids were really little, we went on vacation. We stayed at the old Days Inn in Nags Head. Um, they had a pool. That's what's important. They had a pool there, and, and uh, our, we had only four children at the t- Only four children. We had four children at the time, um, and Cody was just an infant. And uh, so Bev was going to take Cody in for a nap and uh, sit with him in the, in the hotel room. And um, she's, I said, I'll take the kids swimming, and, of course, they're all excited about that. And you know how this can work. My wife gave me the lecture. And the lecture was basically, Bob, please watch them closely. Don't let any of our kids drown. That's basically the lecture in a nutshell. The girls can't swim. And, of course, I reacted in the sensitive way I was. I was like, come on. You know, what do you take me for? Of course they'll be safe with me. I'll watch them like a hawk, you know, won't let them... And so uh, then I started thinking, you know, I need to actually be careful about this. So I talked to him a little bit about how important this is of not Holly and Reagan couldn't swim, you know, so you can't just jump in the water because you'll drown and drowning is not a good thing. And so we get in the pool and Derek is splashing around because he can swim and Holly and Reagan are standing on the edge. And uh, so they're jumping to me, and so I said, okay, Holly, you, you can jump first, you know, and it's a little nervy, and you're too far away, and I said, no, I'll catch you, I'll catch you, so she squeals and jumps, and I catch her and spin her around, you know, and, and uh, she's, she's laughing with that joy, you know, that joy of being scared, and then realizing actually you were safe, That just that laugh, and uh, meanwhile, Reagan's on the edge of the pool waiting for her term. And I, I held Holly up. I said, just a minute, Reagan, just a minute. I got you. And I held Holly up and said, see, that wasn't so scary. That was great. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. What I didn't notice is Reagan's fidgeting at the edge of the pool. And all of a sudden, she just jumped. And so I had Holly, and I felt a splash. So I turned, and there I see this little face with these blue, big eyes underwater going, oh, like, like she's trying to scream. And so I grabbed her up, you know, I grabbed her up, and uh, I don't know, maybe the lecture on drowning was a little too intense, because she's like, Daddy, I drowned it. I drowned it. And I said to her, no, Reagan, no, you didn't drown. This is not drowning. You didn't even come close to drowning. You're not even within a mile of drowning. So let's not tell mommy about this. Right? Mom, you probably wouldn't understand what I know, which is your father was right there watching you like a hawk the whole time. And in the moment you slipped under the surface that was so scary for you, my arm was right there and I pulled you right up. I was strong enough to save you. And you're in my arms and you're perfectly safe. I think this is uh, maybe a poor attempt and an idea of the picture of death for a Christian See, because it's not just good news, it's true news. It's something like this. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus isn't trying to give us a metaphor or some kind of a vague hope. It's like you're going to slip under the surface and these big arms are going to pick you up. And death itself will no longer have its power over you. Now either that's true or it's not. But don't go through your whole life with this vague drifting. Just saying, well, I'm not sure. It's a pretty important decision you need to make. This is what Francis Collins was talking about. He had to make a commitment. He made a decision. Death has no power to take you from the arms of your father. Guilt cannot separate you from God. Whatever bad news you face, if you've crossed that threshold, if you've crossed that line, If you've trusted this man, Jesus, you have a resurrection coming. If you're an elderly person whose health is frail and fragile, and you're living in fear right now, you have a resurrection coming. Maybe you've been betrayed and you feel alone. You have a resurrection coming. Maybe you're in your middle ages right now, and you're feeling like life has not been what you'd hoped for. You almost feel like a loser. You have a resurrection coming. Maybe you're the frightened parents of a wayward child, and you don't have to live burdened with this weight of blame. You have a resurrection coming. An anxious worker out of a job, out of money, a guilt-ridden addict living in the shadows of life, a lonely young person longing to be loved. If you've taken this step, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're living in a new reality. And his arms, God's arms are strong. They have not lost their power. They will pick you up. Whatever you're in right now, I don't know everybody's heart, I don't know everybody's life, but whatever is going on right now, you have a resurrection coming. And if you've never crossed that line of faith, I'm telling you, you can do it right now. In a private moment, you can cross, in, cross that line with God and step into life with Him. Because we're talking about something that's good news and true news. Now, maybe you've taken that step. Maybe you've taken that step. Okay, what can you do to spread the good news? What areas of your life? This past Wednesday, we do our live streaming of prayer. And uh, uh, one of the things I talked about was the verse where David says, search my heart, oh God. Search my heart. Okay, if you've taken that step, maybe this is a good time for a search my heart prayer. Say, Lord, is there something in me that needs to be dealt with? Is there a person? Whatever it is, God, reveal it to me. And then act on it. But the key is, if you're not sure what to do now, ask God. Seek God. Allow Him to lead you. As we finish up, I am thankful that you are listening, that we're all a part of this, that we're all learning together on the things God wants us to do, on how God wants us to live. And for, all, for, for me and for all of you, I'm praying that we will submit and allow Him to lead us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, you are speaking to hearts. We trust that you do that. And we pray that people would put aside pride or whatever whatever else might be getting in the way. And deal. I can see. You are a faithful God.
0: You're the God who raised you. I can feel Remember that today and the breath of those. Father, I, pray that you I bring can the power hear of the resurrected to the life the sound of nations rising up we will not be bring the power overtaken of the our
1: lives again show us show us how good you are and we give you our love and our praise and we thank you for our hope and we say this in the name of our risen savior Jesus Christ amen before we close, I want to say if, if maybe this is something you've struggled with, maybe you have some questions, and maybe you're not sure, I would love for you to, we have a couple of books uh, that I feel, I have a couple, number of books that I feel deal with this very effectively, and I'd and be happy to send you one. Um, I've got extras. I'd be happy to send you one. You just message us, and uh, we, will, we will be sure to put one in the mail this week and get it to you. Just Just a book to read or some info to think about we 'd love to do that if you would like prayer, message us on our website, call us at the church, message us you know on our, on our email. Um, we would love to be praying for you. Uh, we can just take that time here. You know i 'm able to, to take time to pray, it, but also if there 's anything you need, if you need help, if you need food, let us know we, we cannot meet needs that we don 't know about, and, and we have people ready, members of our church who are willing to go shopping, to go to pharmacies, who are willing to buy groceries for people. Just let us know, and we would love to be involved in your life in any way that we can. We are all now separated, not by choice. This has been forced upon us, but God is bigger than this, and we are all together in this as a part of the body of Christ, and let's see the body work and grow, and we could all be a part of that. Thanks for for tuning in. God bless you, and have a wonderful Easter Sunday.